Hello, this is Daryl here, sending love as always. Thank you for tuning in. I just want to say, if you like this interview, you can check our website for companion workbooks, action guides, tools, checklists, templates, and show notes with links for everything mentioned on the call. Just visit bestbusinesscoach.ca. That's best, B-E-S-T, businesscoach.ca. Enjoy. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us. My name is Daryl Urbanski, your host as always. And today we are joined by Richie Clapson, C-N-G-M-I-Struck-E, a seasoned expert with nearly 40 years in the property development sector. As a director of property CEO, Richie's mission is to transform individuals into property moguls, even if they're novices. He's trained thousands, teaching them to leverage existing skills for significant returns in property development. Richie's vast experience spans roles as director of Knightsbrook Property Group, CEO of Albrook Group Limited, and leading Albrook Developments. He's not just about theory, he's hands-on with a rich portfolio of converting commercial spaces into residential gems. With credentials from the Institute of Structural Engineers, and a background in civil engineering, Richie is the go-to guru for aspiring property developers. I've asked him to join us here today to share his story and help us navigate the world of real estate investing. So Richie, thank you so much for joining us, my friend. How are you doing? Very good. Thank you for having me here on the podcast today. I'm actually uh, very excited and looking forward to it. Hmm, me too. And before we get into some of the tips and tricks and how to make obscene amounts of money, how did you even get into all this? Is this like a family trade? Were your parents involved? And property development, is this kind of like a generational business kind of thing, or? If I can answer that with a yes and no, Daryl, my parents aren't really entrepreneurs at all. They come from a generation that weren't entrepreneurs. They're both in their mid-late 80s now. Back in the day then, very challenging, very difficult to be too entrepreneurial, particularly you know, these days we're able to leverage funding and all sorts of things. But what I can say is my father was a, a structural engineer. He was a fellow of the Institute of Structural Engineering. So he was in the in the property industry, albeit in a very technical, so he's a very technical engineer, a very technical sector. So that naturally led me into the industry. 16 years old, I left school here in the UK and I went into an apprenticeship on the drawing board. Those days we used to have drawing boards and I learned, learned my trade through hands on in the drawing office learn how to design, went day release to college, eventually got my degree through day release and became a chartered engineer. So that's where my career started, 16 years old, on the drawing board, and, and led by my father, who was an engineer, but not an entrepreneur, one would pass. Got it. So walk us through the early days of your career then. So you got into the field and you were mopping yeah, okay. floors. You were, yeah, where did you start? Actually, yeah, do you know, I was mopping the floors and I was actually chatting literally just a couple of days ago to, to a friend of mine and we were talking about the start and where we started. And I remember when I, I got off of this apprenticeship, so I actually went in the summer, the summer sort of vacation here in the UK. My father said, go and get a bit of work experience. He had a friend of his who had a, a structural engineering business and I went there and he gave me a couple of weeks of experience, understanding what was what in the industry and he offered me an apprenticeship. And my apprenticeship involved, uh, as I described earlier, not only on the drawing board, but actually the early days did involve mopping the toilets. We had to clean the toilets out. That's there's two of us, two juniors. We took turns in it and making the boss's tea, which was a, 
China teapot and China cups all had to be brewed. Just, just I don't drink tea or coffee, so I didn't have a clue. So we used to make this guy. His name was Dick Watkins. You used to have to call him Sir, okay? And you can picture this, Daryl. We had to, so 16-year-old lad, quite excited because I had my apprenticeship. You had to go upstairs in this manky old building that we worked in and, and make this china pot of tea, take it down, and you used to have to knock on the door and wait. And he would say, enter. And you'd go in, he'd have his back, he'd sit in this big leather chair and he'd swing round and he'd, oh, my tea. So you bring it, put your tea down and he'd always say, let me taste. And so you'd, he'd pour a bit out and I reckon three out of five times he'd send it back, okay? It's not brewed to the standard or something like that. So what you used to do, take it back, and you have to remake it. But one of the ex-juniors who'd now moved up the ladder said, no, don't, don't make it. Just go back up to the kitchen, yeah. sit there for three minutes and bring the same pot back down. Just He just does it. And then you used to bring the same pot down. He'd go, oh, lovely, thank you, perfect. And out <laughs> you would go. And, and yeah, mopping the toilets, making the boss's tea, taking the post down the post box, and in between, learning how to how to draw. That was my yeah. early years. Got it, got it, got it. Yeah, maybe it just wasn't steeped enough. I don't know. I was about to say, isn't tea just water and tea? I thought the same, Daryl, but clearly it wasn't. Clearly, clearly it we're wasn't. not very sophisticated in the ways of tea. <laughs> so, okay, so then what happened? I worked my way up. I worked in that firm and I did a, what we call a day release course uh, here in the UK. I did a ordinary national certificate, a higher national certificate worked my way up into doing some design. So drawing is, uh, I was a draftsman, which is literally on the drawing board, drawing up various buildings. We used to work a lot of hospital projects. Then I became a, a designer, a graduate designer, got my university degree part-time, changed jobs. I stayed in that job for quite a while because despite the bloke being Mr. Dick Watkins, sir, no longer with us now, bless the fella, being a bit of a tyrant, he was actually a very good educator, very good mentor, learned a lot. And I left there... In my early 20s, I suspect, I went on to another firm where, because I, there's this great phrase that someone told me, once a junior, always a junior. And you, mm. you have to move firms to step out of that sort of junior mm. badge. Mm. So I moved on. I, I went to another firm who accepted me as a graduate engineer. Did a few years there. That I, whilst I was there, got married quite young. So that was always interesting times. And then from there, that that's where it changed, I think, because that business, I'd been there two or three years, maybe two years. It got acquired. It was acquired by another organization. And I remember that it was a much bigger company than the one I'd previously been in making the tea. And it was, it, it said it merged. I remember there was an announcement and the chief exec came down and probably had about seven or eight offices around the country here in the UK. And it said it merged with another company. And even in my early 20s, I thought, I don't believe it. There's just something not here quite right. And I thought we'd been taken over. And I was right because within, I think almost within 48 hours of the announcement by our chief exec chairman, whatever he was called then, a guy called John Forrest, I seem to remember his name. They were out, him and another couple of, were, their deaths were cleared. And it was quite obvious that we were acquired and taken over. And I thought someone was a little bit cleverer than you. And so I guess in my early 20s, that was my first taste of acquisition entrepreneurship. Got it. Got it, got it. Yeah, that's one way 
it can it can be a lot easier to buy something that's already moving than to start something from scratch. Yeah. I think that's called a roll up. It's actually a strategy where a business will buy and roll up multiple different businesses into one kind of super entity, you could say, where they get to yeah, share, yeah. whether it's sharing leads, where one lead is actually a prospect for all of the companies in, in a different capacity, or there's just some sort of advantage to it for sure. That's shared assets, shares resources, shared customer bases of some sort. Yeah, I, I think it is. It, it, it's a massive advantage. And I think, I, I guess that's where I got an appetite for more business than engineering. So I'm an engineer by trade, but that's where I got the interest. And, and I worked my way up and I was very carefully watching what they were doing in the head office. I was in a, a regional office in the south coast of England and the head office was in London. And I was intrigued to what they were doing. I had a couple of opportunities to go to head office. I met then the chief exec, a guy called Chris Cole, very briefly, because I was a, I was just a number. I was just a number down on the South Coast. And in the end, I thought I'd worked my way up. I think I was an associate. I, I became an associate in the Winchester office. And I figured I needed to be in head office because that was where the action was. There's no point right. being in a regional office. Let I tell you the story of how I got to head office. Got it. Yeah. So what I did is I thought, well, if I go and ask my boss in the local regional office, can I get a transfer? He's going to say no. no. So what I did is I run, I tried, I attempted to ring the chief exec and I got to his secretary, a lady called Corrine, her name was. I always remember this. And, and I got through to her, I got through to his PA, I got part of which for to his PA. And I said, can I speak to Chris Cole? And she said, he's a very, he's a very busy man. And I said, I'm sure he is. And I'm very busy too, but I'd like to speak to him. <laughs> I love it. And she said, he doesn't just speak to anyone. And I said, no, but I'm not anyone. I'm actually, I'm an employee of the company. She <laughs> said, well, what would you like to speak to Mr. Cole about? I said, with all due respect, I'd like to tell Chris that. Not yeah. Because I thought, if I tell her, yep. she's not, I'm not going to get through. Yeah. So she said, well, Chris won't speak to you unless you tell me what it's about. I said, I have lost an opportunity because I, I can only tell Chris. So eventually I, I got... She the went curiosity. Quiet. I love it. Yeah, you got it. So she went quiet. Bear in mind, Daryl, I was probably I was probably 25, maybe 26. You're still um, fresh out of the wrapper. Yeah, and, and I was probably I, I have a far more ambition than I did skill, that was no doubt. But anyway, <laughs> I um Yeah, absolutely. But the phone went quiet. It went quiet. And then this voice came on, he went, Hello. I thought it reminded me of my original boss making the tea. He was hello. He said, uh, sorry, I said, oh, it's Richie Flaps. And he went, yes, I know. And he said, and, and then he said, what can I do for you? And I said, I'd like half hour of your time, if I may, sir, please, face to face. And he said, to discuss what? I thought, I'm not going to tell him. So I said, I'd rather discuss that face to face, if that's okay. And I said, it's, but it's an interesting opportunity. He said, I'd like you to tell me now. I said, no, I'd rather tell you face to face. If you don't want to meet, that's absolutely fine. So he had to have a meeting. So I got called for a meeting. I took a day off work because I thought my boss won't know. I went up there, sat in, sat outside the the office of the PA. She gave me a bit of a scowling look, lesser. Anyway, I got called into his office, which I thought, oh, this is a result. I got called in. And he said, got up on his big desk, sat down at a table. What do you want? So I told him, I said, I need to run your London office for you. I said, because I reckon I can do it better than anyone else. And he, what makes you think that? So I told him, I told him why. And clearly 
my ambition and my 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 ideas resonated because he said okay and he, he went to his desk he came back with this piece of paper and he said don't just choose london we have many regional offices and and here are the names of the regional directors i'd like you to speak to a few of them and then come back this time next week or call me this time next week and tell me your decision called him a week later i said i spoke to one or two but i want to come to london he said okay and he said that we'll make it happen and within well less than 24 hours my boss knew he wasn't very happy and i think with less than two weeks i've been transferred to london all uproar in london because they thought i was bought in to take over which i wasn't you know i got a fairly senior position and i just went there to start with as a, as an engineer so i did the same sort of job down as i did in my regional office up there but suddenly i got picked i got given an opportunity so bear in mind this company now was very acquisitive. I'd learned that they were acquiring businesses all over. And I was much more interested in that than the engineering. Mm. I was used to, I used to be part of their A-team, acquiring clients and winning work. I was still in mid-late 20s. And I then got chosen to join. They, they had a shadow board, very innovative. And a shadow board is like a second-tier board to the main board. So they had the main board. And the shadow board was made up of mid-20-something-year-olds. And their remit was to be un unhindered by policy or money and advise the board on what they should do in this big national, what turned out to be a multinational company. And I got involved in that. And then I became chairman of that. I became chairman of the shadow board. We had no power, but we were a think tank. And so that led me to have a strong relationship with the chief executive main board. And I was involved in going around the country, helping from a young engineer's perspective, the new businesses merge within the company. So I learned about acquisition. And I think that was a turning point. That's fantastic. So how does that play into what you're doing now in terms of with property CEO? I have some theories, but better let, let you answer your, that question. Okay, so the journey took a turn then to, to accelerate this a little bit. Otherwise, I'm sure we could be about three or four hours. But I basically saw an opportunity to acquire a structural engineering business myself. It was advertised. And I was obviously in an acquisitive team. So we're often talking about acquiring businesses. But I wrote to this one myself. And I wrote to this firm. It's in West London. And I thought I was quite intrigued, quite interested in it. Ultimately, I got a chance to sit down with the owner a guy who'd run that from scratch but wanted to retire was in his 50s and i was interested to buy it so bear in mind now i'm probably in my late 20s and i wanted to buy a business but i'd never learned how to buy a business i'd been involved in probably the merger of businesses but not the the acquisition side i didn't know how to right. buy a business i didn't have any money which was a slight problem well a small had problem a, <clears throat> yeah, a big mortgage on my property because we just moved house and a four-year-old son. And I thought, I want to buy it. And I have a great saying. And the saying is, where there's a will, there's a way. Right. Okay. And so I just had to work out how to do it. So I ended up, I basically, the guy, I remember this guy wanted, it was something like three or 400,000 pounds for this company. And I didn't have it. I didn't have a penny. Really, right. I didn't. Uh, young couple, my wife and I, young child, big mortgage, not a lot of money. And so I said, how about I offer you a million quid? And he said, well, yeah, on the basis of what? I said, the basis, you can have it in 10 years, not now. Yeah. So you can have three, three or 400 now, or in 10 years, I'll give you a million. 
I love that. So he said, I'll, I'll take the million. How does it work? So basically. Order then, finance it. Yeah, yeah, that's it. I said, I'll come in. I'll take over. And it goes back to that point about, we mentioned it just now, Joe. You mentioned about buying a business. It's much easier to buy something that's up and running and shape it. And I, I thought, I think I can do something with this. My, my ambition was pretty strong and my skill sets were catching up, one would say. So I decided that I thought I could do it. And I said, look, this is the basis. If I don't do it, the business reverts back to you. But if I do, I basically will own the majority of it and you'll own the share. And if we get this right, you'll make a million quid and I'll make a, I'll make a couple as well. He bought the opportunity. And that's a journey I went on back in 1998. I became acquisitive. So I bought within a year another company on a similar principle and then another two companies. And just to, before I talk about Property CO, because they're, they're, I was always talking with developers. I'm a structural engineer, but I, I didn't really do much structural engineering. I was a businessman, really. And I was always talking to developers during this journey building this business, acquiring other businesses. And I was always working with developers and trying to help developers do things better, okay, right. and help people get developed. And when I'm talking about developing, taking a property and repurposing it. So we used to do uh, a lot of old office blocks, turn them into hotels. We used to take any anything, all sorts of buildings, warehouses, and turn them into residential. So involved in all sorts of projects. But the engineering side, I had a 10-year plan, Daryl, to build and sell it, okay? I missed it by four days, which was pretty gaunting. But anyway, I did a 10-year plan. I built a business to sell it in 10 years. By being acquisitive and being very specialized. So actually, what we did in 2004, I bought a company that was the only company in the UK that had ever designed an Olympic stadium. And I was basing my fact on that I thought the UK had a very good chance in 2012 of winning the Olympics. The lead up to that in terms of design was quite a few years before. And I figured that if I could have skill sets within my company that could design an Olympic stadium and I could get some role in it, that would be a great time to sell the business in my 10 year plan. And I did that at the UK won the Olympics. We were invited by the government to what's called peer review. So we we demonstrated we were world-class because we were checking the engineers that had actually designed the Olympic Stadium, the National Aquatics and the Velodrome in 2012, the most prestigious project in the world at that time. And we were the people checking it at a high level. Not a huge amount of income or fee or much profit, but the prestige was huge. And that, that then got us noticed. And during that time, I then got hold of a sales agent who helped me pitch the business, sell the business. Good friend of mine to date. Still work with him on some stuff. Guy called Ian Barton, fantastic guy. And we sold the business. We sold the business in 2008, just before the crash here in the UK, April 2008, mm -hmm. for a seven-figure sum. Did a two-year earnout, maxed our earnout in the middle of a recession. And in 2010, I retired. In the in my mid 40s, early mid 40s, I retired in 2010, and got bored. Yeah, yeah. For those that have seen the video and see my beach background, I had a mini retirement myself in my mid-30s. And it took me just a couple of weeks to realize there's got to be more to life than this. I can't. Like, you need purpose and meaning. You need a reason to get up in the morning. They, there's a story of some sort of fish farmer. He gets in this fishing business and he's got a fish farm. 
and nobody likes his fish because they taste flat. And he figured out the idea to put a predator in the tank and he loses a couple of fish to the predator, but it keeps them all on their toes. And so the meat suddenly tastes better. And it's that it's, we almost need that in life. Otherwise you just fall victim to your vices and apathy and sloth. And it's just what, why get up in the morning? Yeah, no, I think you're right. And, and, and definitely that point down about losing purpose losing any vision, losing any focus in life, it just disappears because uh, we bought a big house. I managed that. I bought some cars. I bought a boat. We did all those sort of things and bummed around for a bit. But to be honest, you're absolutely right. There's not a lot to do. Invested in some businesses, made some mistakes, lost some money. And anyway, (laughs) you don't, yeah, that's what you do. Interesting. I I met a guy, Darren. I met a guy... I'm tempted to say it was last year before. No, year before, was it? I can't remember anyway. I met this gentleman and uh, very entrepreneurial. And we chatted about exactly what we just talked about there, loss of purpose of vision. And he said, very common. He was intrigued because he wants to write a book on it. And he said, a lot of successful entrepreneurs that sell out, then just lose it. They lose their drive, their energy, and uh, sometimes their money. Right. For me, it was like there. Were, I was used to structural things, having to pay the rent at the end of the month and having to... I'm from Canada. And so weed was, marijuana was legal there before it was legal. And when I have a sudden had over a year worth of income in my bank, a cash and mattress, so to speak, I'm going to wake up and smoke a joint because I deserve it. I've, I should celebrate. I've so accomplished and I'll show up to this client meeting high. If they can't like me for who I am, I don't need them. And the structural things in your life just go to the sense of urgency, the debt, like all that stuff. People don't realize uh, a great example is actually a relative of mine ended up almost killing himself with alcoholism, but he was fine for the longest time. And what got him was he injured his shoulder at work. And so he got eight months paid leave for the recovery of his shoulder. But now he's paid to sit at home and his normal routine is where, and he, he had it in, in check. Like it wasn't a big issue. It was an after work thing. It wasn't wake up and drink or drink at lunch. It was just like after work while watching hockey, you know what I mean? Or whatever, I barbecue and dinner for the kids. But then when he was off work and he had eight months paid leave while I'm just at home all of a sudden, and those structural things were missing in his life. And then it just suddenly his eight month leave became 12 months because he wasn't healing like he was supposed to. And it was because of the abusing of the alcohol and that, and it ended up almost costing him his life. Now he's overcome that demon, but I just think that's a challenge a lot of people don't realize they're like, oh, I would give anything to have a year's worth of income in the bank. And more, they say more money, more problems. I really think that's an important, once you have your roof and ramen covered, that's what my buddy and I say, once you got your roof and ramen, you need to find purpose and meaning and have fun with it. I think that, and there's, I think that story is very similar to, to, to lottery winners, big lottery winners, big prize winners that they blow the lot. It goes anyway. So to, to, to back to this, this sort of period in my life where things were, I wouldn't say astray, but they were just drifting along. Made a a bad decision, invested in a construction company with a friend of mine who turned out not to be what what he really was. He did a runner from a business, suggested he was ill, had a breakdown, but plenty of evidence shows he didn't. He just left the business in a state. My fault, totally my fault, because I let him run it. Cost me half a million pound to go back in, pay everyone off, do the right thing, close it down. And during that time as well, I was doing, still doing a bit of training, a bit of one-to-one mentoring, coaching with developers and new people that want to be new developers. And I had all these other business ideas. And so I'll tell you how this came about. So 
several things came together. One of them, my a great friend that I work with, a guy called Stuart Holdsworth, salt of the earth guy, absolute fantastic character. And I went to regularly went to see him. In fact, I'm, I'm well overdue going to see him again, actually. So probably this reminds me I should after after this call is give him a ring today and go and see him. But he, I went to see him and I told him a load of ideas that I had in business I wanted to do. Uh, and I was quite excited and, 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 and enthusiastic to get back into all these sorts of things. And he said, he basically said, what on earth are you doing? I said, what do you mean? He said, you're going to do all of these things badly because you've got too much on uh, on your plate. But you just need to focus on one or two. So that was ringing in my ears. The second thing that happened is one of my students of a, a very short mentorship program that I'd run for 12 months, a guy called Ian Child, said to me, let's go for a drink afterwards. We went for a drink and he said, I, I think your training is absolutely fantastic. It's the best, I think, in the industry. He retired out of large corporate. And he said, I, I think the trouble is, he said, you can't get too many people because you're very much one-to-one -one or one to a small right, group. Right, right, right. Uh, I've got the expertise and we could join forces and we could start a, a property development training company. And I said, no, thank you. And he said, no, we should. I said, no, thank you. He said, would you like another drink? I said, yeah, okay, that'd be lovely. And and so about four or five drinks in, so I'm not a big drinker by any means. And so I, I relented and went, yeah, okay, let's talk about it. And so we started that at that time. And then the other thing that happened, the third thing, always come in threes, the third thing that happened, and I think was probably the most fundamental, I went, a friend of mine invited me on a couple of sort of weekend retreats, and we went on these retreats. It was all about mindset and finding your purpose in life. Mm. The title was interesting. It was called Fix Your Mind. And one of the subject matters for the one of the weekends was find your true purpose in life, which mm. triggered an interest. Although some of it was a little bit what I might call woo-woo. It was a bit, yeah, wooey woo foo. <laughs> yeah. And, and I I went with it. I thought, well, okay, look, I'm here. I just won't go for it. But we did this exercise, which took about three quarters of an hour. And you basically worked with your unconscious mind. You'd read this question. You had to write down instantly what came into your head or tick the boxes or words that meant something to you. And it accumulated with us turning the last page over and writing our true purpose in life from our unconscious mind. You couldn't think about it. And so I, I basically picked up a pen, turned the page, wrote this statement. And I thought, oh, interesting. And I called the guy over. There's a gentleman called David Shepherd, works out of London. And I said, David, I've just written this. And he said, that's fantastic. I said, how did I do it? He said, doesn't matter. Did you follow everything I said? I said, yes, I did. He said, does it mean something to you? I said, yes, it does. I said, but all the other, there's only one business out of my list of business interests that means anything. And of course, you remember Stuart Holdsworth said to me, you're doing too much anyway. And he said, do that one thing then. He said, do whatever your purpose in life that you've just written, whichever business relates to that, do it. And he said, you'll be the richest you could ever imagine in life. And he walked away and he stopped and he turned back and he said, and I don't mean financially. And off he went. And the statement I wrote was, I can remember it now, I'm not reading this, but it says inspirational, thought-provoking leader with the energy and drive to enthuse others. Inspirational, thought-provoking leader with the energy and drive to enthuse others. That was Property CEO. We started a training company to inspire others to get into the industry and change their lives, okay? Mm -hmm. People that wanted to go out and, and change their lives not necessarily multi-millionaires, but typically we teach most of our students to make 
two, three hundred thousand, four hundred thousand a year. It's life changing money for a lot of people. Oh, the majority. People come to us, Daryl, and I say, what do you want to earn a lot more? Two million pounds, one million, three million. Well, the reality is they don't. They like that purpose. They like to do something. And most people, particularly in the average wage in, in this country, in the UK at the moment, is, is just under 30,000. Very few people earn over 100,000. And the fact that what we can do is teach them to earn 50, quarter million pound a year, working part time. And I think that's the big thing. It's not a full time job. Once you're up and running, it's a lot of hard work to get up and running, make no doubt. But right. once you're up and running one or two days a week on average to earn a quarter million pound. And I think it's that great mix. We were just talking about it of purpose, balance, structure and, and money to actually do a bit of what you want to do. So ultimately, through that journey and through that advice of an old mentor of mine saying you've got too much on your plate, David Shepard directing me just with his the way he does stuff to find my true purpose in life and Ian, Ian Child my now business partner saying this is what we should do we ended up 18 we sat down we wrote the whole program that was hard work I have to say just shutting myself in an office for a year launched the business just before COVID in the UK in 2019 it's run very nicely through throughout COVID and then really the last year or so it's really picked up I've now got through Property CEO, well over 200 people has been on our main 12-month mentorship program. We have people joining every month. And we've got over, I think, five or 600 has been on a very short introductory program that we've done. And long may it continue. So that's, that's what I do. So as we finish uh, our recording today, I've got a two-hour training session online with my students across the country. I've got students across the world. You talked about Canada. I've got a student in Canada. He's based between Canada and Dubai. I've got a guy in Hong Kong, guy in the Netherlands. So we are expanding out. And I think what we teach is fairly unique as well. So that's the journey. That's how we've come about. And what are, you, what are some of the biggest mistakes people making when it comes to getting involved in property development? Not listening. What does that mean? I think the thing is, there's a question, Darren, we always ask everyone is, are you coachable? Okay. And we have a filter process to, for people to get in. It's just not, not, it's not just rock up, swipe, swipe your, your credit card and get yourself a ticket and in you come. No, you have, there's a vetting process. And obviously I, I, I'm coaching entrepreneurs. Right. Because you're not an entrepreneur. You're not going to go for this stuff. And this is hard work. But the trouble with entrepreneurs, and I tell, the, I tell all my students this face-to-face, is entrepreneurs think we know everything. I did. I thought I knew everything. As I said, I have far more ambition than skill set. And I think that's great, but you need to be coachable because the thing is, I always say to people, so I'm out speaking tonight, okay? I'm in a place called Nottingham in the UK. I'm going to go speak there to a bunch of property people tonight. And one of the things I often open up with, who'd like to make a quarter million pound a year? Would that change your life? Of course, everyone's got their hands up. Yes, it's exciting. And then let's bring it back down to reality. What if you lost a quarter million pound? And of course the room atmosphere just drops. But I like reality and I said, that's the truth. You could lose it. If you listen and do it right, you shouldn't. There's no guarantees because it's setting up a business. And so the problem, the biggest mistake to answer that question is is people aren't coachable. So when things have gone wrong and we like to reevaluate, bring them back in, okay, you've had a couple of mistakes or you're slightly off path. It's did you do this that we told you in that model? Did we do? No, I didn't do that. I didn't do that. And so 
it's being coachable. That's the biggest challenge that that students have. And I think the second challenge, if I can add to it, the thing that gets in their way is themselves. It's mm. mindset. It's the imposter syndrome of how can I become a property developer and earn a quarter million pound a year? Who would take me seriously if I've never done it? And we always use analogies to try and get them over that. Yeah, I, I would agree with a big part of that. We did research. I may have mentioned it when our mean greet. Spent 50000 to go through all the academic liter literature. And property is, a, is like real estate deals are, are almost a great analogy. I don't know if that's the word I'm looking for, but for business deals where they're structurally, they're very similar legally, financially, a lot of times they can be very similar. And so the eight critical success factors we uncovered were self-efficacy, market intelligence, strategic planning, marketing strategy, sales strategy and skills, money management, business operations, and business intelligence. And those were the big eight pillars. And self-efficacy People always say, Daryl, what's the one factor to rule them all? And I, you need them all because if you don't have intelli business intelligence, if you're not getting fee, if you don't have feedback loops in your business, if you're not looking at dashboards and your financials, you don't know where you're going. Operations, that's the meeting rhythm, HR compliance, legal compliance, right? Where you store your IP, your systems and processes, right? Everything goes for not. If you're not managing your money, look at Enron. Enron posted $101 billion as profit 12 months before they filed bankruptcy, mm -hmm. right? Money management, sales. If there's no sales, there's, you can, even if it's a subscription business, all you can do is run out of customers. People will move, change interest, they'll die, all that sort of stuff. So you can need them all, but all of them do stand on self-efficacy, which is your ability to accomplish things and believe in yourself. And I would define it as your ability to achieve things via yourself and others. And we break this down into three categories, which is demonstrating specific personality traits. So one is a locus of control, which means being a control freak about the things that are within your control, not worrying about things you can't, but you have to have a locus of control, extroversion, openness to experience, agreeableness, talking about being coachable, agreeableness, cooperate with others, conscientiousness and acceptance of criticism and feedback. Those are the key pillars of that. And then leadership skills, it's not so much goal setting. That comes from the market intelligence and your strategic planning. Leadership is about self-awareness skills, communication, cooperation skills, emotional intelligence skills, adaptability, because these are the tools that you will use to move you and your team closer to the goal and understand your weaknesses and compensate for those. And then, of course, the personal discipline. So self-efficacy is personality traits, leadership skills, and disciplines, personal disciplines, time management, having a sense of urgency, mental health, physical health, right? These disciplines because how many people, I, you probably know some that they had a thriving business and then they got sick because they like smoking 12 packs of cigarettes a day and finishing the day off with seven pitchers of beer. And all of a sudden they can't show up to work because, geez, I wonder why. Long term, I agree that people tend yeah. to get in their own way. That acceptance of criticism and feedback, the willingness to dive in and become self-aware, to work on their weaknesses. I think and it's that's the point of about getting grown that business through yourself or with the ability of others because i think the that's really powerful because i think the thing about that people struggle to get over is how can i become a property developer if i've never done it and and i say you're not going to lay the bricks right you're not going to wear up the plugs you're not going to put on the roof i say everyone knows richard branson whatever they think of richard branson the entrepreneur i say if richard branson became a property developer or wanted to He's going to learn what everyone does, but he's not going to do it. 
going to assemble a team. It's a completely outsourced team. And he's going to have that vision. He's going to take it forward. But he's the way this company name came about, it's the CEO. You are the CEO of a company. And effect, effectively, what I train people is to be the CEO of a company. It just happens to be a property company. I say to him, if Richard Branson wanted to become the CEO of a property company, people would take him seriously because he's an entrepreneur. And most of students are very successful in what they've done elsewhere, whether it's a business or whether it's in management or whether they were in teaching or whatever. And I just say, yep. you just transition. You have to get out your head. that There's plenty of people around that know the size of a brick and how to build a timber ward, how right, to wire right. a how to put plumbing in. You are just assembling a team. And the great thing is about property development, the team is pretty much all outsourced. So you're not structuring a big business with overheads. Right. And so it's a fantastic model. And the principles of it, and I, and we haven't decided yet, but we've had quite a lot of interest from the States. People say, well, you come out to the States and teach us. Because although the detail of what we do here in the UK and our, our planning systems and some of the financial systems are, are specific to the UK, fundamentally, 80% of what we teach, the principles about building a team and developing a property and being the CEO, they translate anywhere in the world. Right, so right, it's, it's right. A very interesting model. Yeah, no, I agree. A lot of people, a lot of people want to say that their business is different, but every business has to find and attract customers, to qualify them, to convert them to sales. You, you got to count the pennies that you're collecting and where they're going. Every house is is different, but the plumbing works the same. The electrical work works the same. The air ducts work the same. But yeah, the blueprint, the map might be different. There might this might be a three story building, that might be a one story building, but the principles are very much the same. And I'm not really. We never, like for anyone listening, I'm not getting incentivized anyway to pitch him, but you, you're welcome to sign up for my coaching as well. There's also something you mentioned, if you don't know it, if you had someone that wanted to win a gold medal at the Olympics, you mentioned the Olympics, you have two scenarios. One is a guy, him and his friend are sitting in the garage with some VHS tapes and some books, and they're just going to figure it out and train and go for gold. And then the other one is, they go get actual coach, maybe a couple of coaches, people who have actually won gold medals before. Both scenarios have potential to win a gold medal, sure. But I think it's very obvious which one is more likely to get closer to the goal faster with less headaches, setbacks, and injury. And so that just, a lot of times certain businesses in that, if you have a coach who knows the business, you do small deals first and you work your way up and you learn and earn by doing and that's part of the power of a team. And you even already hinted to this before, where there was another company you were involved in. Forgive me, I don't remember the name, but they actually had a board of directors. And a lot of people don't understand what does the board of directors do? They are a panel of advisors. They don't do the work per se. They are advisors. So this means that the CEO has a team of specialist experts that they turn to. And you actually work for one that had the advisors had advisors. There was a shadow board. So I just want people to imagine this. There's a CEO running the company. They have to answer to the board, which is a bunch of specialists, a specialist think tank team. Everyone has a different foundation of knowledge. Yeah. They advise the CEO on how to handle things. And those advisors had their own shadow board. Like mm -hmm. that, I just want people to understand that. I think it's a really important thing that sometimes, like we said at the very beginning, enthusiasm can make up for a lot of flaws and weaknesses. And none of success is a team sport, hundred percent. I think about it every time I drive down the road, every time, how grateful I am for the months and days and maybe even years people spent sitting in the sun, sweating to pave that road so I could get where I'm going in 30 minutes.
right? Mm-hmm. I remember heard this on uh, Joe Rogan. If I left you in the woods, how long till you could come back with your own iPhone that you built from twigs, <laughs> right? Like we're all yeah. standing on top of the work of others. And that's exactly it. A company is just- The transition of, I, I like you talk about eight pillars. We teach eight pillars of property development. I used to oh. teach the eight pillars of business. I used to coach businesses and, and help businesses build for sale. And it's all the same principles. And, and I say to people when they come in, they're very scared of the industry, the property industry. I said, you're not actually getting involved in the property industry. You're just running a business, which happens right. to be built, building some houses. Right. I have a friend, he bought, a, I think it was a radon, a radar, is it radon? That, yeah, that, yeah, the radon, a radon, I don't know what to call it, radon detection, not detection company, but basically they would come and test your house for radon and fix it if you had it. It's a silent gas that can cause all sorts of diseases and even kill your family. And he's yeah. not an expert in radon. He has no idea about it, but he had a bunch of technicians that knew that had the proper certification yeah. and they knew, and he knew how to work on a business. One of the, one of my favorite, one of my closest mentors gave me this great, just, I don't even know what to call it, axum phrase, I don't catch phrase, but it's just been a great guiding light. Delegate as much as you can. So you're calling the shots, analyzing the stats and communicating, right? Yeah. No, I think communicating with your customers, I, 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 communicating I, I, with the vendors, the staff. Right. Going right. back, I, I, we talked about the Olympic Stadium. And I, and I often joke that I'm not the best structural engineer in the world. I'm a chartered qualified structural engineer. But of course, as you can imagine, there's always different levels. We can all drive cars, but then there are IndyCar, Formula One car drivers that, that can do it far better than we can. And the thing I did, people said, how did you get the Olympic Stadium? I had the business acumen to try and position ourselves, but I just employed cleverer engineers than me. I've always, when I've had a business, always employed cleverer people than me and never been afraid to do that. So my skill set was employing the best engineers and positioning ourselves to get the project. And this is no different to what I say to my students now is you're going to employ structural engineers with, with 20 years experience, architects with 20 years experience, planning consultants with 20 years experience, contractors with 20 years experience. And as long as you know how to manage those, going back to the eight pillars of the, of the finance and the money and the control and the clients and so on, you can deliver a business yep. in property. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah, it's a skill set, 100%. So Richie, this has been, I've got a couple of pages of notes. This has been a very good call. I want to be respectful of your time. I know you've got training today. Is there anything I haven't asked you that I should have asked you? I don't think so. Someone asked me the other day, they said, what gets you up in the morning? And I thought that's an interesting one. And it does come back in in a way to this purpose. And it comes back and it relates to as well. A friend of mine said the other day, day, probably a couple of years ago, I bumped into, he said, what are you doing now? And I just said to him, I said, I'm changing people's lives. And I think that's what I do. And it's a really feel good business that when you get up in the morning and to sometimes I feel a bit of imposter syndrome, I think, why do people want to listen to me? I'm just a normal guy from the South of England. But of course I have got all this experience and I have got that energy drive enthusiasm to inspire others as as per my purpose. So I think I had a four day, I ran a four day masterclass last week in central UK in Birmingham. And I got some fantastic comments afterwards and people coming up and that appreciation of the time that you give to coach and teach others doing something that you love is what gets you up in the morning. So powerful. So powerful. If people want to learn more, go check out propertyceo.co.uk. That's P-R-O-P-E-R-T-Y. CEO.co.uk. 
Uk. Thank you so much for coming and sharing with us. Knowing you have your own followers, your own students, your own family, your own stuff to take care of. Thank you for coming and sharing your story and enlightening us in the ways of property development. Thanks for inviting me. It's been a pleasure and we'll see you soon, my friend.